The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing where we are this week as every week striving to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to rock the real estate world. Today is question and answer week on real life real estate as is the case um, in the on the last Wednesday of almost every month and that makes it a sort of an sort of an open mic day. Um, it's your day to call in with any questions that you have that you've been saving up about real estate investing, about some technical issue you don't understand, some strategy you don't know about, something you've been struggling with, whatever the case may be, um, can answer them today live until uh, about uh, 10 till 6, and there's a couple ways to contact us. One is through the uh, phone at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, and the other way is via email. Just send your question to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. No question is out of bounds today and honestly if it is i just won't read it on the air folks who subscribe to our real life real estate investing e-letter have sent in some questions ahead of time and uh, i'm going to go ahead and tackle those while we're waiting for the phone to ring at 877-772-9658 the first question is from george subject is mao he says what is your formula for determining your maximum allowable offer I walked in to a 2,300-square-foot house to purchase from a seller who responded to my direct mail. When the doors opened, the smell of cigarette smoke was overwhelming. (laughs) 29 years of both parents smoking. Any advice to get rid of it? Any idea how much to ding the value? (laughs) Okay, so uh, two different questions there, George. Formula for determining maximum allowable offer. And I'm going to give you a formula that assumes that you're not getting any help from the seller with financing. So this is going to be what we call a cash offer, although it's not, you know, not necessarily your cash that's going to go into all of this. It's going to be maybe partner money, private lender money, IRA money. One way or another, the seller is not financing for you. He's not carrying payments. He's not letting you take over his payments. My formula for determining maximum allowable offer is... Take the after repaired value of the property, what's it worth fixed up, 
multiply that number by 0.7 and subtract the costs to get that property into after repaired condition. So it's ARV, after repaired value, times 0.7 minus repairs. Now having said that, I'm going to give you the true answer, the answer that is always the correct one in real estate but that no one ever wants to hear, and that is it depends. Because if you're telling me that you've got a property that is amazingly, fantastically um, in, in awesome shape, I might pay a little more than 70% of the value because I can resell it very quickly or I can rent it immediately. Maybe it even has tenants in it. I have one of those under contract right now where um, tenant has been there for three years and the house is, you know, it's, it, you know, it could use four or $5,000 worth of just little miscellaneous stuff, but generally it's, it's pretty darn good. And yeah, I'm willing to pay more than 70 cents on the dollar for that one. On the flip side, if you show me a house that's had a fire, uh, had a flood, it's got major structural problems that are likely to get real complicated, uh, it's going to be a $100,000 rehab. I probably want to get it for less than 70 cents on the dollar, less repair costs, to compensate me for the additional hassle and risk of that really terrible property. Uh, in a market like we are in today, a lot of people are raising their number up to they'll pay 72, 73, 75 cents on the dollar. Uh, just because folks who don't know how to find deals by means other than just going to the MLS and fishing in the same pond as everybody else are having a hard time finding deals that are at 70 cents on the dollar less repair costs. So it does depend, but general fallback rule, all other things being equal, ARV times 0.7 minus repair costs. Your second question about the smoke, um, that is a problem that I have seen before. <laughs> let, me just, let me just say it that way. Um, there are some products out there that claim to kill cigarette smoke smells, but the bottom line is you are probably going to have to replace everything in that house that could have absorbed smoke. So carpet, uh, if it's got those, um, those ceiling tiles like we have in here that are probably, you know, made out of fiberglass or something, those would probably have absorbed smoke and it's very unlikely that you're going to get the smell out of those. Walls you can paint. There's actually a paint product that you can pick up at any of the big the big box um, hardware stores or probably the small hardware stores too for that matter that is it's a primer that is meant to uh, cover up and and you know effectively get rid of the smell of cigarette smoke because there's a second problem there's the smell and then there's the fact that the walls get this um, sticky yellow oily coating on them and if you just put a regular coat of um, primer on them and then paint them in about six months these yellow drips start like coming through the paint it's really spooky and creepy until you realize that what it is you're looking at and at which point it gets even spookier and creepier because there's like nicotine dripping down your walls um so there's a, there's there's a product that uh works better to do that. You'll probably actually have to scrub the walls down first too. 
So uh, the question about how, how much do you deduct for this, the answer is you got to add up the stuff you're going to need to do. How much carpet has to go, how many walls are now going to require what's effectively probably going to be three to four coats of paint instead of the usual two. Um, are there ceilings that are going to have to come down because they're absorbent? Uh, and just add all those things up and say that's my that's my price for this. And then, I don't know, throw another $5,000 on top of that for the hassle. But it's not uh, it's not an unheard of or unsolvable problem. So thank you for your uh, email, George. If you have questions about real estate investing, buying, selling, rehab, all of that sort of thing, uh, give us a call at 877-772-9658. You can also send an email. Just send it to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, your question is just as good as everybody else's, so why don't you go ahead and send it in. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. You can also email me, askvina at gmail.com. For right now, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Ben on line one in Cincinnati. Ben, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina, Ben Bauer here. How are you? I'm good, Ben. How are you? Not bad. Hopefully you can hear me okay in the car. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting conversation at our last radio meeting with one of our fellow investors, and we were talking about what is our vision for our portfolio long term. And in my head, I've got this vision of I will get 100 properties or some really large number of properties or maybe I'll be the next Terry Fast or whatnot, right? And they're grandiose goals. And the other investor, who I'll, I'll keep anonymous um, out of respect for him, but probably wouldn't mind me disclosing who he is, uh, said, you know, I've just got 30 properties or so. And that's all I ever wanted. I don't want the hassle. I don't want to build, uh, you know, a huge company. I don't want to do all that. My question is really, what have you found in the sweet spot, and how has your philosophy changed over the years? I know you didn't start this yesterday by any means, uh, as, as to where that sweet spot lies. Well, I think the I think the sweet spot depends on if you're 20, 40, or 60, you know, years old, I'm talking about. Um, because, uh, you know, when I, when I first started in real estate, I my goals were similar in nature to what you are saying yours are. Um, you know, I, I was trying to figure out how I could own 1,200 houses. Cause I, and, and the primary reason was I met a guy who owned 1,200 houses and I wanted to be better than him. That was, that was like the reason when I, when I look back on it now, that was all about bragging rights and, um, you know, wanting to be the biggest and the best and, and all of that sort of thing. So your fellow RIA member to whom you were speaking uh, has a different has a different uh, view on this, which is uh, to me it's about being comfortable, not about being extremely affluent, but also extremely busy. Because you, you've owned rental properties and you know that no matter what people say about them being, quote, passive income, they are anything but passive. I, I, either, either you are managing them or you are managing your manager or you're losing your butt. Those are your three options. So 
they're really they're, the, the idea of having a hundred rental units uh, is is one that kind of you know, people would be split about that. Some people would say, "Ooh, that would be awesome because, uh, you know, I'm doing the math in my head. And once I got them paid off, I'd be making, you know, $65,000 a month in income. And boy, what, what, what I could do with $65,000 a month in income. And other people look at that and say, wow, nah, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just too, too much work. And it's entirely, that's an entirely personal decision and it has a lot to do with kind of where you are in your life and how much energy you have and how much how much you are willing to pacifize and systematize and bring other people into the business because that's an issue for a lot of our colleagues is that they're control freaks and they won't they won't let anybody else touch their books their properties their marketing anything like that so i mean there's there's a lot of different answers to that but i think for any individual human being there are, there are two big things to look at. One is what what would what income would feel affluent to you? That's a, that's a different answer for different people, but 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 like like there's some number that if you could if you could clear that number every month or every year, you would feel very safe and very secure and like you could do just about anything you wanted to do financially. And how many paid off rentals would you need to make that money? Because 30, 30 paid off rentals will make more than 100 leveraged rentals. As you, I'm, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the, uh, the listeners may not have done that math. Um, and, then, and then the goal becomes maybe not to, not to acquire as many properties as you can, but to, but to acquire that many paid off properties. And whatever that number is, you know, just go for it. The other thing that I think people really need to think about is retirement income and how many, how, how, how much, how much money do they want in their self-directed retirement plan? Because there's, there's right now when you're, you know, you're working, right? You're, you're getting up every day, you're, you're doing your thing with your rentals and and whatnot. And there's going to come a day when you don't want to do that anymore. So you ought to also be thinking about acquiring rentals in a tax-free environment, not so that you can make money on them right now, but so that they can pay themselves off and you can make money on them, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, whenever your retirement age would be. And there, there's a, a, a very, um, there's a very important calculation that you need to do, which is, if you intend to live off of your self-directed IRA, in other words, live off the interest from it and not touch the principal, pass that on to your kids and grandkids tax-free, you need to figure that you're going to be you're you're going to be earning about seven percent interest in retirement, right? You can always you can always loan money out at at ten or twelve percent, but inflation will take some of that away, right? So figure you can figure you can do about uh, you can you can earn about seven percent and figure out what the amount of money you need in your self-directed IRA to have the income you want in retirement is because that is a piece of the pie that almost all of our fellow REA members say they understand and they say they should be doing it but they're not. So you would be holding those rental properties in the IRA in a self-directed Roth, I presume, mm-hmm. and then 
the, the, the end goal at retirement would be to sell them, to convert them into cash, which I understand what you're saying. Well, that is that is dependent upon um, do you do you do you end up retiring with a property manager you trust? I mean, are you happy with that, or do you want to um, do you want to cash out and just use that money for hard money loans or something like that, right? To to do something more passive. But but either way, I think it's a safe thing to say. I, there's this number. I'm going to be making seven percent of that number per year. What what does the number need to be to make me happy? Sure, sure. And has has that vision? And I don't mean to take up too much time here, but has that vision changed over the years? I mean, from the early days when you wanted to conquer the world, <laughs> I assume you know different points in life. What you want changes, right? So mm-hmm. your goals change as well. Have you found that to be pretty dynamic in, in terms of change? I I have. And, um, you know, part of, part of the reason is, you know, you try stuff and you decide you don't like it, right? I, I, early on, I wanted to, I wanted to rehab and resell 25 houses a year. And then I did two or three of them discovered I hated it. I hated everything about it. And that just, that goal just like went away. Um, and, and I no longer want to own 1200 rentals. If somebody gave me 1200 rentals, if I had a, 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 a rich, um, uncle that I didn't know who died and left me with 1200 rentals, I'd be selling them as fast as I could. Makes sense. And I think the, the type of property changes over time, you know, right now I focus on lower dollar houses, but in, you know, I'm 40 or about to turn 40 at 50, I might not want that same, you know, um, tenant uh, model, you know, so. All right. Well, I appreciate the thought-provoking discussion, Ben. Thank you so much for calling. You're listening listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, Taking your questions via phone at uh, 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, the questions are sort of pouring in uh, right now via uh, email at askvina at gmail.com. So we uh, certainly can take questions that way. Uh, or alternatively, you can call. Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. I'm going to clean up a couple of questions here that had come in before the show. And if you're wondering how people are able to ask questions before the show, the answer is they are subscribed to the weekly real life real estate e-letter. It's uh, a brief little summary that contains what's going on on the show that day, uh, contact information for the program. Uh, there's almost always an article by or about our guests that's going to kind of push you forward in your real estate investing career. There's information about other stuff that's going on out in the real estate investing world, classes, webinars, all of that sort of stuff is really worth subscribing to. The way that you would go about subscribing to it is you would go to realliferealestate.com and fill out the little subscription form. Of course, you can stop getting it any time uh, you would like, but um, it's a way to sort of keep in touch all the time with real, real life real estate investing. Uh, this is a question from 
uh, John in St. Louis. He says, I'm interested in learning about wholesaling and plan to take your academy most likely in May. But I've been thinking about who I should market to. Could you give me some idea of a good target market, such as vacant houses, out-of-town owners, etc.? Well, both of those, John, are very good target markets. I mean, really, if you're going to get down to the bottom line, what you are looking for, if you're looking for underpriced properties, is people who have a property and who have a problem. So they have a, they have something, they have a, a, a house or something that's something that's along the lines of what you and or your buyers would like to invest in. So, you know, somebody with a, a desperate sell over truck stop might not do you any good, but desperate sell over house is kind of what you're looking for. And they also have something, something going on in their life that it probably doesn't actually have a lot to do with the house. It's something else. It's a divorce, it's a foreclosure, which of course usually comes from some sort of a financial issue that they're having. Um, it's a health problem. It's, it's something, something that's not really necessarily about the property. And whatever that problem is, it has made them more anxious to get rid of the property in a quick and easy and painless way than it has to take their other alternatives, which are, you know, fix the property up and get top price, but wait for it. And until you've spoken to a few of these motivated sellers, you don't really get that you don't talk people into selling their house cheap. They have already determined <laughs> that they're going to sell their house cheap. And all you're really doing is finding them and then saying to them, well, this is what I can do, right? This is, this is, this is the price at which I would be willing to take this thing off of your hands. Does that work for you or not? Um, if you talk to a bunch of unmotivated sellers and you, you say the same thing, then you'll get the impression that nobody wants to sell their house cheap because every single person that I say, I want to pay half what you're asking for your house, uh, gets mad at me. So you do need to talk to some motivated sellers. So the thing to do is, is kind of think through, all right, what, what kind of, what kind of pr problems do people with properties have that would make them maybe want to sell their house at less than they could sell it for if they, cleaned it, mowed the lawn, fixed it, painted it, all of that sort of stuff. And the answers are, uh, yes, vacant properties, because typically a vacant property is costing somebody money. And the longer it stays vacant, the worse it gets. Um, Out-of-town owners, you know, what is, their, what is their motivation? Well, it normally turns out to be about their management company, honestly. It's, it's not necessarily that they don't want to own a house in wherever you live, St. Louis, it's that they can't find good property management for that property in St. Louis. And they feel like they're constantly being, um, I don't know, ripped off. Uh, probates, divorces, you know, all of, all of these things are things that leave a footprint in the public record. I mean, divorce cases are legal cases, out-of-town owners, you see that when you look at the tax rolls and you see that the tax bill is being mailed to California, right? It, it's, it's, these folks aren't, when you figure out like this, this is who I want to go after. It's not 
really hard to find most of them. Now, here's the other thing I'm going to say to you, John. Depending on how many deals you want to do, it might not be a matter that there's a single list or a single source of names that you're going to go after. Because any any single list, if you said, or I'm going to I'm going to go after divorce cases, well, how many of them are there in your county? How many new ones are being filed every week? It, it's it's probably not a gigantic number. And within that number, there's going to be a certain percentage that don't own a house. There's going to be a certain percentage that own a house, but one of the other spouses is staying there. There's going to be a certain percentage that they own a house, but and neither spouse wants to stay there, but they're not they're also not in a hurry to sell. They need to get top dollar. So if you had a hundred new divorces a month, which or a week, which I doubt, it might be the case that only one of those folks had a house and was motivated to sell it. And then you might not be able to get to the price with them. So you might try, you know, several things at once as well. Now start with one thing. Don't don't overwhelm yourself by trying to jump on a bunch of different things all at once. But And I do hope to see you in May. Um, this is a really nice email. Mike, or do we still have any of those inner circle packages that we offer during fund drive left when I, I've been gone for three weeks over in Ireland. And I think, I think we had, I think Bob had told me we had one or two. And if so, I'm going to check during the break on, on the website. I just got this really nice testimonial from John, who's been a member of the inner circle through WMKV for several years. He says, if you were involved in real estate investing in any way, you'd be crazy not to take advantage of this offer, which was, during the fund drive, we said you could put down $5, try it out for a month, and if you liked it, we after the month was over, you could stay in by by paying thirty nine ninety seven a month to WMKV. He says, I've been an inner circle member for about two years. In that time, I've used less than half the benefits of the program, but still received more than I could even put a dollar figure on. Certainly thousands of more dollars in benefits than the cost of the program. That's great. Yay, John. Uh, so you might, if, I think there's, if, if there are one or two of those left, like I kind of think there are, um, you could go to wmkvfm.org and check that out. And I bet Dave's listening to me. And if it's not up and we have packages up, it will be in five minutes. So that wmkvfm.org and, um, you can, if there, if there are any of the packages left, I just, I didn't check before I walked in here today. Um, it's five bucks, put it on your credit card. And in a month you either say, yeah, this is awesome because I'm getting all my questions answered and I'm getting a weekly video and I'm getting, you know, or yeah, big weekly webinar and all this cool stuff. Or you're going to say no thanks. And yeah, you rest five bucks. So thank you, John. Really, really appreciate that testimonial. Um, all right, so let's see if I've got any questions here. They're piling up in the inbox from askvina at gmail.com. Let's see if there are any sh any short enough to answer before we need to take another break. Okay, this one is from Judy. She says, if a previous owner wants to rent from you after closing and you charge them the cost of your monthly expenses, in other words, the rent would be mortgage, insurance, HOA fee, real estate taxes, until they leave and you can move in. Is that considered taxable income? Also, what negatives are there to situations? So Judy, you, are, you, are go you want to move into this house, and the owner doesn't think that they are going to be able to vacate by the time you are 
ready to close is 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 as way I'm understanding this. Um, let me let me start with the possible negatives here. Uh, the possible negatives are they become holdover tenants. Uh, I assume this is happening because they either haven't found another property or maybe they're building a house and it's not done yet. They become holdover tenants and your life gets kind of put on hold because they just are not moving and not moving and not moving. So don't just make a, like a handshake agreement on this. Write a lease and don't say that the lease amount is the amount of the mortgages, HOA, say, say the rent is this much money and make it for the period of time that they think they're going to stay. So if that's one month, two months, that's fine. And then there's two things you could consider at the end of that period. One is you could double the rent, right? Are you going to be, are you going to be okay with them continue to live there if they're paying like twice as much as it costing you to own the house? Because if not, you don't want to do that. Um, the other thing you can do with the lease is when it expires, you can give the tenant a 30 day notice. You can't just, you can't just be like, look, it's June 1st. You have to get out. I'm taking the doors off the house. That was an old landlord trick for evicting tenants. Mike's looking at me like I'm crazy. That was, a, that was, it's, that's not legal. Oh my goodness. Don't, I, I just, I just realized there's probably a thousand people. Going, that's a great idea. I'm totally going to do that. They, 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 back in the day, they were, the landlord would take the door off of your apartment if he wanted you out and you basically had to move or all your stuff was going to get stolen. So don't do that, Judy. Uh, you, but but you can't just you can't just throw these folks out. You've got to like give them a legal notice and then go through the eviction process. And that has happened to me more than once with these owners who are holding over. So that's that's your downside. Um, is it considered taxable income? Well, um, I'm not a CPA, but I would guess that what your CPA is going to tell you is that because you are renting the property almost everything you put on here is actually a deductible expense. So if you, if you brought in $3,000, but all of that $3,000 went to insurance, HOA fee, real estate taxes, and mortgage interest, only the interest part of the mortgage is deductible, but your first few interest, your first few mortgage, few mortgage payments are almost all interest anyway, that, that it's basically a wash. You're going to say, I got $3,000 worth of income and I got $2,800 worth of expenses on that income which I'll explain a lot about why a lot of landlords aren't making money. So yeah, talk, talk to an attorney about getting a lease drawn up with these folks. Cause I, I, I just would not, I would not leave myself hanging out there. I mean, in theory, even without a lease, you could give them a 30 day notice, but to avoid bad feelings, I would make sure that they, that everything that you've agreed on is writing is in writing. You know, this is this is what you're going to do, and this is what I'm going to do. All right, uh, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and answer a bunch more questions here on Question and Answer Week at Real Life Real Estate Investing. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It is Question and Answer Week here on Real Life Real Estate, and um it's funny, it goes back and forth, like some weeks, most of the questions come in via phone at 877-772-9658, and some weeks they come in mostly via email, and that's what's happening this week, is that they're coming in mostly via email. So um, you can do it either way, folks. Uh, if you call in, your question's pretty much guaranteed to get answered. 
Again, that number is 877-772-9658. If you want to send an email, send it to askvina at gmail.com. Here's a question from Russell, who says, I have owned a condo in Connecticut since June of 2003 that I converted from studio to one bedroom. My tenant is moving at the end of May, and I've been considering either renting it out again or selling it. If I were to sell... My tax preparer said I would owe back to the IRS $78,000 for depreciation taking on the, taken on this plus capital gains unless I moved in there for two years. Whoa, how expensive was this condo? You've owned, you've owned it for 14 years and you've had $78,000 worth of depreciation in that 14 years? That is a lot of depreciation. Um, and the, by the way, I don't. I, maybe maybe you're seeing this in a different way than I would normally understand it. Does does does, does is your tax preparer saying you would owe seventy eight thousand dollars in taxes, or is he saying you have taken seventy eight thousand dollars in depreciation? Because those are two different statements. If you've taken seventy eight thousand dollars worth of depreciation, what you owe what you're gonna owe the IRS is the taxes on the income you would have recognized had you not had the depreciation. So the taxes on the seventy eight thousand, not seventy eight thousand in taxes. So just clarify that with him, because this may not be as bad as you think. I'm looking at this going, what seventy eight percent is if seventy eight thousand dollars is twenty five percent of what he's taken in depreciation, good lord, how expensive was that place? Russell goes on to say there is about $150,000 of equity after fees and expenses. I'm interested in how to mitigate these expenses as much as possible. I'm also debating whether to use a realtor to find a tenant and or buyer. I have some idea of for sale by owner and for rent by owner, but I'm unsure whether there are other things I miss doing it myself versus paying an agent to list or sell any thoughts. Okay. So first of all, um, if you decide to sell it and First, first we have to find out how much tax you actually owe. I'm thinking it's probably in the range of like twenty-five or thirty thousand, not seventy-eight thousand. The way to avoid that tax, or let me let me say it a different way: kick the can down the road another few years on the tax, is to do a ten thirty-one tax deferred exchange on the property, and um, the. The rules behind that are a little complex. Uh, that there are you can't you can't take the money, for instance. You know, there's it has to be actually put with a, um, a qualified intermediary. Um, if you go to our podcast, go to realliferealestate.com, look at the podcast, back up about a month and a half or two months, and look for a show that we did with Scott Ellsworth. He is a CPA who. Uh, did a show for us on 1031 tax deferred exchanges. If you do that, you identify another property, you buy another rental, you won't have to pay the taxes. You won't have to pay the capital gains tax or recapture the depreciation on this property. However, when you sell the replacement property, unless you exchange it as well, you will have to at that time recapture. In in terms of the question uh, about whether or not to use a real estate agent, um, if you're going to sell it, you can you can certainly try selling it uh, by yourself, but I wouldn't do that for more than four to six weeks before I hired an agent because if you want to get the highest and best price 
uh, listing it in the, in the MLS is absolutely the way to go with that. I mean, you want to get people competing over your property, listing it is the way to go. And usually, unless you yourself are a very skilled salesperson, usually it turns out that the extra money that you get does outweigh the cost of the real estate agent. Um, for rent by owner, I, I'm... I'm I'm less of a of a believer that um, you're going to get a lot more rent if you have an agent rent your property than if you do it yourself. I think in general, you know, the rent is what the rent is. And assuming you've got a good property there, looks good, smells good, all that kind of stuff, you can rent it yourself. All right, question here from... Bob, he says, love your show. I sit in my chair all week doing nothing but waiting for it. Okay. <laughs> I have a seller lead who wants 210 for the house. Comp show it may be worth 400000 after repairs of an estimated sixty, But the median house price in the area is only one sixty based on the zip code put into city data. Does 70% of ARV my, uh, minus repair money for cash purchase price still apply with a house so far above the median. Okay, well, first of all, Bob, um, last few times I have looked at citydata.com, they that their information had not been updated for years. I mean, I don't. I, maybe something has happened recently, but I was I was checking it out uh, six months ago, trying to find some data for the OREA convention, and a lot of the areas it was like the information was literally four or five years old. So. I'm not sure that the your median price information here is correct. Um, comps are always better than a median price. I mean, all, all median means is half of the property sold for more than this amount of money and half of the property sold for less than this amount of money. And it doesn't really have any meaningful, uh, it doesn't tell you anything meaningful about the price of any individual property. So... I wouldn't worry too much about that. Now, the, the this is a real common question, though, about does the 70% of ARV less repair costs thing really apply when you're talking about a property that's, you know, 400000 700000 a million dollars for the simple reason that that, that 30% right? The difference between 70 and 100 is 30. That 30% that you're working into the deal for expenses and profit is a lot more on a $400,000 property than it is on a $140,000 property. It seems like, man, $120,000 and, you know, to pay the expenses and get the profit, that seems like a lot of money. Well, you know, retailers would tell you that, a $400,000 home, especially in an area where the median price might be less than that, is actually a bigger risk to take. And that any extra padding in there in the price and the potential profit has the potential to be taken away uh, in holding time, in picky buyers in the fact that there's probably fewer buyers for that $400,000 house than there would be for a more mid-range house, you know, $200,000, $250,000 house. So um, I would, I, I wouldn't vary from that too, too terribly much. Okay. 
Um, I think if you were gonna if you were gonna rehab the property, um, you would be happier if you paid seventy cents on the dollar. And if you're trying to wholesale the property, definitely you need to be trying to wholesale it at, at seventy, maybe seventy two, seventy three cents on the dollar. So uh, appreciate your question and also the fact that you made me laugh with the whole I sit in my chair all week waiting for your call thing. Um, Okay, let's see if we got any final questions here uh, on question and answer week. I think we've had a bunch of really good questions, but I do not see any more that have Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me check this folder over here that actually says radio show questions. That would be really smart, wouldn't it? All right, here we go. Okay, here is a question. This one is from uh, Tom, who who is in Atlanta. He said, he says, okay, he says, before you read this, just let me let you know ahead of time that I am, in fact, one of those people who spends an awful lot of time studying things before I am able to pull the trigger on them. Having said that, I worry about doing marketing because I feel like there are an awful lot of people who are mailing to many of the same lists. I'm concentrating on probate, foreclosure, and absentee owners, and I don't understand why anyone would call me if they are getting dozens or hundreds of letters. I live in a very competitive market with several large real estate associations. It seems like there's a bandit sign on every corner. Please stop me from being up in my own head so much. (laughs) Okay. Um, Good question, Tom. It's good that you recognize in yourself that you have a tendency to maybe overthink things, but you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say you're not going to know the answer to your own question until you've tried the thing that you're sitting around not trying because you're thinking about it, which is you've got to do some mailings. It, it, it is true that the market is, is hot right now and, you know, MLS deals are showing it. And there's a, especially with the three lists you named, yeah, those folks are probably getting a lot of mail. And yet someone's buying the deals. How does that happen? Well, I, I, don't ha- I don't have a great answer for you on that. I know that sometimes folks will call the first postcard they get. Sometimes it's the last postcard because, you know, they get they get a thousand and they get overwhelmed. And then the closer and closer the thing comes to happening, whatever the thing is, whether it's the foreclosure or whatever, the more they kind of go, maybe I should have called some of those postcards and yours is the last one through the door. Maybe it's that you have a be- you have better marketing that spoke to them in some way. Maybe yours was the one that grabbed their attention. I don't know, but the reason people continue to do this is that it works. So I am just ordering you go do thy mailings, and then you can come back in a couple of weeks and tell us what what happened. <laughs> okay, uh, and then we can talk about. Well, that I was right. That's what we're going to be talking about. So uh, appreciate your question, Tom, and appreciate all of the folks who asked questions today during a question and answer week. We've got a very special guest next week. Mr. Ron Legrand, the godfather of real estate, is going to be stopping by to give us his annual uh, state of the market update. So be sure and stay tuned for that. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then... Happy investing.